This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, a global technology leader providing customers with solutions to analyze, secure, and act upon their data seamlessly between every edge and any cloud. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Friday, July 20th, the Washington Post gathered top cybersecurity policymakers and former high-level officials to talk about the latest developments in America's cyber battle with Russia and other adversaries for the Washington Post's Cybersecurity 202 Live. In this segment, the Washington Post's Carol Lennig talks with former House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Rogers and former State Department Coordinator for Cyber Issues Christopher Painter to assess the cybersecurity agenda of the Trump administration and Congress and the immediate challenge to defeat cyber attacks. Let's listen. Good morning, everybody. I'm Carol Lennig, and I'm a national investigative reporter at The Washington Post. And I'm really pleased to be here today with um, Mike Rogers and Chris Painter. Uh, This week, President Trump, lawmakers, and the national security community have been discussing Russia's meddling in the 2016 election. And I'm really delighted to welcome these leaders in their field uh, to talk about it. I also want to say um, in a freewheeling way that I don't think we could have timed this event better based on the Monday through Friday that we've just experienced. Mike Rogers was the Republican chairman of the House Intelligence Committee until 2015, and earlier in his career was an FBI agent. He's now a national security commentator on CNN and the host of a popular show, Declassified, which explores the stories of American spies. Chris Painter, also with us, was the former coordinator for cyber issues at the State Department, where he was the nation's top cyber diplomat, serving under both President Trump and President Obama, Before joining the State Department, Chris served in the Obama White House as the Senior Director for Cyber Policy and the Acting Cyber Coordinator of the National Security Council. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. I'd like to remind our audience in the room uh, that online you can tweet your questions to us, and I'll try to ask some of them at the end. And please use the hashtag 202Live. I will try to get to them uh, later if I can. So again, I can't imagine a better week to have both of you here talking at the Washington Post about um, our cybersecurity as a nation and our position in the, in the, on the world stage. I want to start by asking you guys a big open question. What did you think about the president's comments standing next to Vladimir Putin on Monday? Um, Mike, let's start with you. Uh, boy, look at the time. <laughs> um, obviously, to me, it was very, very concerning for a couple of reasons. A, the setup to Helsinki, I think, candidly, was a disaster. So you had the President of the United States really crossing Europe, insulting many of our allies, and, and uh, you know, a little bit rude. My mother used to say, rude is a, a very poor imitation of strength. Mm. And 
when you do that, you, you are setting the table for what exactly Vladimir Putin has been telling and doing information operations into Europe, right? That the democracies are bad, that the NATO is causing friction. Uh, NATO might not want to be the, you know, you stop pushing NATO into the uh, border areas and certainly the former republics of Russia. All of those things are messages that the, the, the Putin regime has been promoting. That fell into that trap. And then in, when you get to Helsinki, there's two things that really bother me. One, saying to the president, I can't, uh, I, I don't want any leaks, so I'm going to do this on my own. Uh, I guarantee you that Vladimir Putin was prepared for that meeting and understood exactly what he was going to get out of it. I don't think the president was exactly prepared for the meeting and didn't know what he wanted to get out of it. You know, advantage again, Vladimir Putin. Pitting, uh, going against the very services that are trying to ask Russians who are in the uh, intelligence services and defense and science, hey, we need you to work with us to make Russia a better place. Would you cooperate, provide information? That's what spies do. And to have that message at that time where the president of the United States is questioning our intelligence services and Vladimir Putin is definitely questioning uh, U.S. intelligence services, I thought was just a recipe for disaster. And I'll tell you the last piece of this. It plays right into the information operations that he's have been conducting and, and continued. The very next day, or maybe it was two days, he had a, uh, a open press conference, he being Putin, with his Russian ambassadors talking about how successful the Helsinki summit was and that there are intelligence services and other actors in America working against the president and relations with Russia. At the same time, he also showed a new advanced military order and technology. This is all part of a scripted information operation campaign. And then now, because he was the only one in the room, gets to leak out what he wants happened in that meeting. And what he leaked out just today was that they wanted a referendum in Ukraine. You know, advantage again, Putin. There's no one in the room to say, no, that didn't get discussed or it was raised but not, not finished, all of that advantage Putin. That's what I worry about. I just worry that they're not, the president himself does not take the, seriously the ability and capability of Russian intelligence services to mount very successful information operations, one of which was targeting U.S. campaign and, and maybe that's the title of our session, Advantage Putin. Uh, Chris, I know, yeah, how, so, uh, how, so, I know how concerned you are about yeah, this I, as well. Absolutely. I, I, agree, I agree with what Mike said. I, I'd go uh, in, in the cyber lane, I'd say that there were a couple things that the summit unfortunately showed. Uh, one was undercutting our position uh, in terms of both the Russian hacks on our election, but also in, in providing any kind of cost or deterrence of Russia behavior in the future. And two, a lack of preparation. And let me hit both of those uh, quickly. One, you know, one of the things that n no one's really done a good job of so far is really imposing costs on bad state actors for their activity. And, and when I say costs, I mean credible and timely costs that will both punish them for what they're doing, but also dissuade them from doing this in the future. That's kind of part of classic deterrence. Now, you know, there are a lot of great people you'll talk to today who are trying to protect our systems. That's another part of deterrence. But imposing those costs means that that actor thinks twice about it. And, and we haven't, we've done some sanctions, we've done some other things with Putin, but we really haven't done something that really hits him in a way that makes him change his mind. And, you know, interestingly, in this administration, we have had some good things that have happened. We've had, for instance, the, um, uh, the National Security Council call out uh, Russia, specifically attribute Russia for the not uh, Petia, a big worm attack that, that really caused a lot of damage around the world. Uh, we've had some other sanctions levied on Russia. But all of those things are substantially undercut if you don't have consistent high level and strong messaging from the top, from the president. And what we saw during that summit 
uh, was exactly the opposite, calling into question the intelligence community, calling into question whether Putin did it. If I'm Putin, put yourself, any of you who want to put yourself in Putin's shoes looking at this, uh, is that going to dissuade you from doing this in the future? Is that imposing any kind of cost of any kind on you? Or is that an encouragement to do it again? I'd argue it's the latter. Now, lack of preparation is the other issue that I wanted to raise briefly, and we can revisit some of these things later, too. You remember one of the things that struck me at the summit was not just the would, would not comment. One of the best internet memes of that I've seen is uh, Darth Vader saying, oh, I meant to say I'm not your father. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it wasn't, it, wasn't only, it wasn't only that. It was also uh, the president saying, President Putin has made an incredible offer. He's made an incredible offer to use our, what they call mutual legal assistance system, uh, to allow the FBI to go interview the 12 uh, folks, 12 uh, people who were indicted, uh, Russian intelligence officers. And it's a quid pro quo. You know, we get to go and, uh, and talk to Bill Browder, who has been a long-term uh, Putin foe, and also my former colleague, Ambassador McFaul, uh, which would be unprecedented for a lot of reasons. Anyone who's prepared for that, who talked to their Justice Department, who talked to their National Security Council, would know to reject that out of hand. You know, I was a prosecutor for many years. Mike was an FBI agent. The number of joint cases I did with the defendants was None. <laughs> you, know, you don't do that. It just doesn't make sense to do that. And when it's a case where you're prosecuting Russian intelligence, the only thing that's going to happen is you'll have a stage show, even if something like this happened, on one side when they're being interviewed, which would never really happen. And it's a way for the Russians to get more information on sources and methods and investigation to figure out how Mueller was able to put together this very detailed uh, indictment. So, you know, that, but then you couple it with you throwing an ambassador under the bus and doing other things that no one would really think of. And it took three days to walk that back. That, I think, could have been handled if you really had some preparation. I'm going to ask you guys, to, these, those are great reactions. I wonder about two things. This is going to sound simplistic, but when we go to bed tonight, are we less safe as a country because of what the president said and the message he telegraphed to Putin? Because of what you just described, Chris, there is very little deterrent when the top guy is not communicating the same message. Are we less safe? I, I mean, I would say yes. So you've had Dan Coates say consistently, and not just Dan Coates, but every DNI has said Russia is the most sophisticated and one of the biggest cyber actors, not just against our elections, but really across the board. Uh, so if you're taking away one of the tools to try to deter them by basically undercutting any message, I think that makes us less safe. Yeah, I, I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think, you know, we should run around with our hair on fire. But it's very concerning to me that just the direction that the president is taking on this. When you really look at the cyber uh, arena, very concerned. We know that the Russians have continued uh, to use cyber influence operations around the world, including the United States. Uh, there's a great website uh, of which I, I, I help with. It's called Hamilton 68, yeah. uh, where they track uh, these bot operations from Russia trying to influence whatever topic of the day. And the volume hasn't gotten smaller, it's gotten bigger. Uh, and when you add AI, uh, artificial intelligence, on, on top of these, these bot uh, operations and networks, it means they can get information to the place faster than you can find and disrupt it. And so they're getting better at it and they're being more aggressive about it. This is the part that I worry about. And I think con the president conflates the fact that the Russians are trying to 
use these influence operations, and they don't care, you know, candidly, they were trying to, to uh, bruise up Hillary Clinton in the beginning as well. And why? Their polling wasn't any better than Americans' polling. <laughs> they thought Hillary Clinton was going to be president of the United States. And so they went after her with a vigor. Uh, and they were causing, and their theory was, let's bruise the American president, whoever that is, comes out of the American presidency, so that it gives us leverage, it, it gives us an opportunity to message around the world. That's where they were going. We all should be concerned about that. The fact that the president conflates his legitimacy of his presidency, I think, Mike Rogers thinks, uh, with anything related to this topic is causing problems in unleashing uh, the entirety of the U.S. government to help us push back on this problem. That's the part where I get uh, concerned. The other piece, the, you know, the national security institutions are not, I don't believe, will let the president go too far in some of this. Um, if, I wish he would be better prepared. If he's, I don't think he should do a Helsinki, uh, some, or excuse me, another summit here. You, know, you don't want to roll out the carpet for a guy that's, you know, murdering dissidents, murdering reporters uh, as we speak, occupies 20% of our ally, the country of Georgia, uh, annexed Crimea. I mean, the list is huge and long. You don't give him a reward by parading him with a state dinner in Washington, D.C. That sends the wrong message. And Mike and Chris, you've both talked about the community and the systems and how those could be damaged, but ultimately those are made up of people. What is the message that... that that the president is sending to, you know, what, what many Americans consider our patriots, intelligence agents, FBI agents, operatives, even, even double agents for Russia that are working for us. What's the message to them? Last night, three FBI agents resigned. Are, are more resignations and, and um, I guess, uh, abdications coming? Look, I, I, I hope not. I think it does send a, a dispiriting message to them. I mean, these are people who are professionals who work day in and day out. Both of us have worked closely with FBI agents, with intelligence uh, community folks, uh, with prosecutors. You know, I'm glad that a lot of people in my former office in the State Department and, and throughout the government are still there and still in their posts. I think that's really important. But it's hard to do that when your value is constantly uh, questioned. I think, that, I think that does send the wrong message. Now, the other thing I worry about is structurally. So getting rid of, for instance, the cyber coordinator at the White House I think that's a problem. I mean, I think one of the issues we have in this space is to mainstream this issue so that senior policymakers don't think of it as this boutique cyber issue, but a real national security issue. And um, without that person there who could also herd the cats throughout the interagency and make sure that there are good initiatives across the board to deal with, for instance, election interference, that's a problem. Uh, and then the last thing I'd say is, you know, what we still haven't heard, and this is remarkable to me, is you know, we still don't even have a declaratory policy in this area. We don't have, the president hasn't come out and said, if this happens again, there will be consequences. And, and that's a base, that's a foundation. That's not enough, certainly, but that's a foundation for a lot of other things. And I think a lot of the people in the government are waiting for that leadership. And if they don't see it, again, I think it has an impact on them. I hope they stay. I think a lot of them are doing great work. I think a lot of the people uh, in this administration are doing great work, and that needs to continue. But not to get too personal, isn't that why you left the Trump administration? Well, I mean, it was time to leave. I've been in government for 27 years in various capacities uh, as a prosecutor and others, and, and I decided at some point I would leave anyway. And part of the reason was my office at the State Department was essentially disappeared, uh, which was a problem. And that, that made little sense given all the threats we were facing. And I know they're reconsidering that now, which is great, and I think they should. There's been some congressional action on that, too. Uh, but, but I think there was a feeling this wasn't made the priority it needs to be. And, and that has to come from the top. You know, it's great that everyone who does this makes it a priority. But if you don't have that leadership in the White House, that coordinator, the president saying, he doesn't have to say it every day, 
or the Secretary of State doesn't have to say it every day, or the Secretary of Defense, but they have to say consistently this is a priority. That it matters. Yeah. What, I'm going to ask you about the FBI agents, your peers, but I also want to ask you about your peers in the House and their effort to try to impeach Rod Rosenstein. The Mueller investigation started off by looking at the crime of the interference. It's looking a little bit more at was the president trying to thwart that probe and was anybody trying to hide something else about the fruits of the crime that they may have benefited from? Tell me a little bit about your FBI agent friends, what they're saying, but also your House Republican friends. Yeah, I, do, I do think there's, here's the good news about the FBI, that when you sign up for the FBI and you take that oath of office and you get those credentials, it's, it is a proud moment in anyone's life to be able to have that ability and responsibility charged to you uh, on behalf of the American public. Most people see that first, I, I, I will tell you that. And so it's dispiriting when you're doing your work and you might be doing an organized crime case or a child pornography case or a white collar case or working counterterrorism or counterintelligence cases. It's dispiriting when the general conversation is, boy, the people of that organization are corrupt, they're uh, politically biased, they're fill in the blank. Um, that is, I mean, every agent has a political opinion, or most do, uh, and they understand the importance of checking that at the door. Um, because you're talking about taking away somebody's freedom, uh, you know, put them in jail, you know, very, 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 it has huge consequences. So yes, they are. I have talked to many of them. I've actually talked to small groups of them who are just looking for, hey, you know, we're going to continue to do what we have to do, but really? Uh, and so I worry about that, and I worry about this notion that they can't separate the two. Could there have been an individual problem? Absolutely. Does that mean the FBI culture is now corrupt? I think I would passionately argue that is not the case, and they should start to be careful. You need these agents out on the street with credibility when they open up those credentials that it means the full force of, of effect of support of the American people uh, and their uh, elected leaders to do their job. Uh, they need to get that straightened out in a hurry, and I don't care how mad they are. They need to understand this is bigger than the next election, the next quarter, tomorrow, the next news cycle. This will have long-lasting effects that they have to appreciate and uh, beginning to write that picture. As far as the FBI, we've had this problem in the FBI for 10 years now, that people walk through their careers, they get to a certain point, they get these leadership jobs in cyber. You know where I'm going with oh, this. Oh, yeah, I do. And <laughs> somebody knocks on their door um, and says, you know what, we'll triple your salary if you come work for us. And if you've been slogging away as a public servant for your career and you're married and you have kids and they're getting in college and somebody walks in and says, hey, thanks for your service uh, in, the, in the bureau, come on over. Uh, I can't say, I don't think that the, the, res the resignations that you saw, and it didn't all happen in, in sequence or in the short period of time. It's been about a month, I think, over the period of time. All of them are going to well-paying cybersecurity jobs in the private sector why they can't get enough people. They're dying to have that extra expertise and the pressure on these people is immense. By the way, we had the same problem for a while when I was chairman. I used to have to go to New York about, it seemed like about once every month uh, to say, stop stealing our people in the agency, the CIA. Uh, please stop it. Um, and you know, it's just hard. You want them to make their own choices. You know, the government spends a lot of money training them. They are highly skilled, highly sought after people in the private sector. And it's hard, that part's just hard. So I'm, I'm not gonna, I just don't believe that the FBI piece, 
was related to anything Trump related. I think it was all personal economics that led them to make these I decisions. would agree that, but I would say that the people don't go to work for the government for money. Uh, they go because of sense of mission, because they really want uh, to do something that's going to help everyone. Uh, for the first 20 years. For the first 20 years. <laughs> but, still, but still, even within, even within that, I think uh, people take pride in their work, and if there's a constant assault, it does have an effect. So it's not, especially when you have these other money options out there. So, so back to Rod Rosenstein. Everyone's wondering um, what's going to happen with the Mueller investigation, and it's moving rather rapidly, with including the recent indictment of the central crime. The 12 GRU intelligence officers accused uh, with some pretty intense uh, behind-the-scenes details about how they hacked into Democratic servers. Some House Republicans have been talking about impeaching Rosenstein and, and being pretty clear that they don't trust him to oversee the Mueller investigation and pretty clear that their goal is to end the Mueller investigation. What do you hear from them, Mike, and uh, both of you, what do you think about that? Do you agree with this effort? Uh, I passionately disagree with the effort. I don't think it's going to happen. I think cooler heads will prevail along the way. And listen, uh, you know, let's take a step back. If you look at the body that is being presented of information, you had agents who said they were going to do something about it in their personal texts and things. It, you know, the optics of this are bad, right? And the FBI needs to work to correct this as rapidly as they can. That should not be allowed to... Uh, permeate anywhere around an investigation. And I give Meta, uh, Mueller credit once he saw those. And by the way, that wasn't the purpose that these folks were referred uh, to, to an investigation. They were conducting themselves in a way that wasn't consistent with FBI rules and regulation. That's why they got referred. They looked at the emails and, or the texts, excuse me, and said, well, that's a problem. And he took, he, he did, did something. He removed them from the investigation. Pretty hard for me as an old FBI guy to say that wasn't the right series of events for all of it to happen. Now, the problem is all that information is now being said that that influenced the entirety of the investigation. Um, I just don't think they've made their case yet. If they believe that and then there's more there, bring it on. I mean, I'm certainly willing to listen. I just I don't think they've made their case in that. I think, again, with the, the these are the same group of members who wanted to stop this from the very beginning. They want to stop it today. They, they passionately believe it's political. I don't think there's malintent that they're only doing this for political reasons. I think they passionately believe that there was some ill intent by the Bureau uh, and by the, the, both the attorneys and the uh, uh, FBI agents to, to do something against the President of the United States. And by the way, and this is why I caution it, one of the statements to Putin, by the way, to his Russian ambassadors following the Helsinki summit was that there are forces within the government of the United States trying to work against the White House. That is a dream come true. If you are a Russian intelligence officer trying to recruit somebody around the world or stopping a Russian intelligence officer from actually cooperating with uh, the CIA or FBI somewhere. That, that's why they need to be really careful about how they move forward on this. You guys, you talked a little bit about how the president, in your view, uh, can't separate the interference of the Russian uh, intelligence officers uh, with the, his legitimacy as a president. Everybody agrees Russia interfered. Everybody in the intelligence agency believes, and now Putin admitted yesterday that he wanted Hillary Clinton to win. The last piece is, did it affect the election? Do you guys think it affected the election? So I think it's impossible to tell. Did it affect the election? Absolutely. I mean, no one... The result. It affected it in some <laughs> way. Did it have a dispositive effect? 
I don't think we know. Uh, but, you know, you don't spend money on advertising campaigns if you're not trying to affect an outcome. So people spend in campaigns, as you know, lots and lots of money to try to affect an outcome. Did it have a suppression of the vote component? Did it have, you know, uh, did it change other people? We don't know. Uh, and so I think it's unfair to ever say, to say it had no effect. We know it had no effect. We don't know. But we don't have to even cross that question to say this was impermissible, that this attempt to do this is impermissible. And I think that's really important. And, and, and just on your last question, look, I think it'd be a ridiculous mistake to go after Rod Rosenstein. I, mean, I think the other thing is I, I've worked for and I worked with Bob Mueller over the years, and he is everything that people say he is. He really is the epitome uh, of uh, impartiality, of, of thoroughness. I think he's, he's demonstrated that. We should let this investigation run its course. It should run its course. And, it might, and I think it will really help us get through all of this. I think that's an important part of this. And stop acting guilty. I mean, yeah. my gosh, it just, he feeds yeah. into the narrative. That's but, what drives me. And I, I and I also think this, this confusion between Stop acting guilty, put yeah. advantage. Okay, just This confusion with the, the legitimacy versus, uh, versus everything. I think part of the problem is if you mention cyber to Trump right now, I think he'll immediately code it as Russia and not want to hear about it. So it actually affects not just the election issue, but really cybersecurity writ large as a priority. I do. And one thing that we should worry about, I, I don't think it influenced the election. I think the numbers were baked in on people who believed Hillary was, was crooked. That, that was baked into the election before they got there. I, I do think it had an impact. And the one impact that we should be very concerned about is they very aggressively tried to pit groups of Americans against other groups of Americans. They pitted black activist groups against white supremacist groups and tried to get them to show up at the same place. I mean, this gets my blood yeah. boiling. Uh, they picked, uh, uh, tried to pit Christian groups against Muslim groups. And they tried to do this across the country, and they tried to do it in small and subtle ways. And what they were looking for is the added influence operation effect of being able to take that image or those conversations and then broadcast them uh, louder and to a more broad audience. And it wasn't just to the United States. It was around the world. They want the world to believe that the United States doesn't like each other so much, they're stopping to function as a democracy. That's their message. That's and what know, they want. And you know what that leads into? And I, I was speaking in, uh, in Australia, in Sydney University, and a Chinese student stood up and said, isn't this experiment you've had, given all the messiness and all the division, isn't this experiment you've had with democracy, aren't you ready to move on to a more stable system like we have? Uh, obviously, I said no. Uh, but, but that is being used by some of our adversaries who have very different systems to go around the world to countries who are on the fence and say, why do you want that? Don't you want what we have? And that's really damaging. What is your biggest fear right now, guys? Is it, is it about what's next? Is it Putin meeting with the president again in September? Is it a new attack from, a, from the GRU or another division of the Federation? What's your biggest fear about what could happen next? Many people saw this week as a very dramatic inflection point for this presidency, uh, attacking our own country on foreign soil. What do you worry about next? I, I have said this often, and I think it's even worse now. America is in a cyber war. Most Americans don't know it, and I am not convinced we're winning. And if we don't have a whole of government, even the Obama administration had some difficulties putting their arms around. If you remember, the whole Snowden affair slowed everything down. Where they did a very successful job. Oh, by the way, he's living uh, oh, in Moscow. That's right. Uh, they did a great job of slowing down any progress of getting the whole of government to come together. And I mean all of it. Uh, to try to push back on what is a growing threat. I mean, the Russians, they just did a report that came out, DOD, that the Russians were in our electric grid. Mm -hmm. They're not there just to see how it works. 
uh, they're there to try to figure out how, if they needed to and wanted to, could shut off our lights. And they have become much more aggressive. So you have information operations, which is different from cyber destructive attacks uh, and theft of intellectual property. So we have China is on the increase, Russia's on the increase. We, we are debating amongst ourselves on some very small things in a very big threat picture. That's what worries me most uh, about what I see. Yeah, and, and I think, I, I agree. I think that the, you know, the election interference is one big thing that, frankly, the cyber community which I was part of, we didn't really see this coming. I mean, we were, it's a cyber-enabled influence operation. It's a hybrid threat. We need to do a better job of getting different communities together to, to fight things like this. But we, the things we're on our radar, we're still concerned about. We're worried about the infrastructure attacks. Uh, the DHS, FBI bulletin that went out about pre-positioning of malware on electrical grid, and other, that's a huge potential issue. Um, uh, exposure because of the Internet of Things or 5G. There's so many different things where we know dedicated nation states and other uh, you know, organized groups are trying to target us. Uh, and if we're not sending the message, if we're not actually trying to deter them, that's a huge issue. And they will come back and they'll do it stronger. And they might not do it during peacetime, but if we have a conflict, they're going to take our systems down, and that's a problem. And the one thing that worries me even more than all of that is the integrity of information. So it's one thing if there's a denial of service attack and I can't get to my website for a couple of hours. It's another thing if, uh, as my friend, the former president of Estonia, uh, Thomas Silvis, has said, if someone breaks into my uh, hospital, changes my blood type, and the next time I get a transfusion or I die, and I die or they affect the, um, the financial data and the stock market so you can't close, uh, or you, you affect military systems. So th there's a range of different threats we can't, you know, I don't like using these terms that people use of cyber 9-11 and things like that because I think when you don't see that, people just lose interest again. I think we need to look at all these threats and we need to take them for what we are, they are and I think we need to be, you know, very strong about going after them and that requires leadership and it requires organization. And if the leader, as you both have summarized, is not signaling any interest or devotion to the topic, are we prepared for all of the scary things you just described, Chris, and, and Mike, our lights being shut off without our, our knowledge, our water being infected, our blood types being changed, our stock market being crashed. Are we? Are there people in the trenches stopping this from there happening? There are people in the trenches doing some good work. You're talking to Chris Krebs later. I think that, that that's someone, and DHS has been doing a lot of work, including with election systems. Uh, there are people in the intelligence community doing good work. There's people at uh, Justice and at the State Department doing good work. But it has to be unified. It has to be this all-of-government approach, and it has to be not a boutique issue but a priority. And it also has to be a global effort. We made a lot of uh, effort in reaching out to other countries and building alliances on this. That has to continue. It can't just be the U.S. versus the world. When we're responding to these threats, we need our close allies. We need to recruit other allies. Uh, we're, we're not prepared for, we're barely keeping up. You talk to CISOs who are in fi big financial institutions. Um, you know, they shake a lot and they sweat and they, they don't sleep much because they are overwhelmed at the sheer level. So you used to have criminals only trying to get in, now you have nation states trying to get in, which makes their job incredibly difficult. And we're all gonna pay a price for that. Without a concerted effort, this is only going to get worse. And we know who the four bad actors in cyberspace are from a nation state perspective, North Korea, Iran, Russia, and China. And we really need to have a whole of government approach to this. I talked to a lot of people across the US government today we are not prepared in the way we should be prepared, in the way we have capabilities to be prepared. But without this group effort and understanding what the threats are, I argue it's and, going to And actions speak worse. louder than words, but there's some good language in the national security strategy about 
uh, timely and, uh, and, and effective consequences for bad actors. But unless we do that, it doesn't matter what's written on those pages. And you, even the DOJ announcement, just quickly, I'm sorry. I'm this, sorry, we're got, running out of time, but these guys are so great. You, you got me on so, announcing that they're going to go it's tell good. people that yeah. they're under attack. Yes. I Clean up great. on aisle nine, yeah. right? By the way, you're getting ravaged, and I just wanted to show up and tell you, you're getting ravaged. Uh, enjoy your day. There's I'm not a lot that we can do. Come I mean, on. that is the wrong time to be there. That's why this is so important to get ahead of this problem. A lot of cleanups on aisle 8, 9, and 17. <laughs> I can't thank you both enough. Chris and Mike, thank you. Thanks. Really scary and, and super helpful and educational. Thank you. I hope Thanks, you all enjoyed it. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.